Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. Everything we do comes out of something deep within. It rules our thoughts, our actions, and every feeling. What if we could be more aware of why we are the way we are? What if we could understand why we respond the way we do? What if we could change all of that? Join us for this week's message in our series on The Heart. Everybody, welcome to Grace Life. Good afternoon. It's good to see you guys. Everybody doing well? Cool. Before we get into the message, just want to highlight the week of prayer and fasting you've been hearing about. So we will be here Monday through Friday, 6.30 to 7.30 in the morning. This is, you, you don't have to be there for the whole thing. If you've got to come a little late or leave early, it's kind of, it's not like a church service. Somebody's going to watch you walk in the door. It's, it's, so come and do what you need to do. Bring your kids. We love it, man. Families come and they got kids in pajamas and teddy bears and blankets. And, and it's great because we're just modeling for them how to follow God with our lives. So uh, Saturday, you get to sleep in until 9 a.m. And then one evening, Monday evening at 7 o'clock, that one is a little different. Uh, the reason it's different is because we do three services on Sunday. And so when we come together for one prayer and worship time like that on a Monday night, it's usually about standing room only. So come early if you want one of the black seating things. Otherwise, the aisles are going to be great and you can have a spot in one of the aisles. But we will have uh, preschool child care for those preschool ages on Monday night only. And we're actually thinking about making a change. We didn't change it for this time because some of you have, have been planning since December to tell your bosses you're coming in later, whatever people have actually emailed way back before Christmas so that they could arrange to come to the morning prayer. But we're thinking about doing evenings every day instead of mornings. What do you guys think of that? Uh, that's not as resounding as the other services. Just say, y'all like mornings? Mornings? Well, that didn't... What? All right, so anyway, here's the deal. All throughout the week, if you would, please just kind of let us know what you're thinking. What we're trying to do is simply find what is the best time for us as a family to come together. I also want to point out, if you're new to Grace Life, for this whole idea of fasting and, and praying and seeking God for a season is new to you, I want to let you know uh, that we've got tons of resources, messages that I've preached, Q&A that we've done, articles, all sorts of stuff, either on the app on the phone, if you've got the Grace Life app, or uh, on the website. So go and check out all of that, and uh, then you'll have everything you need to know. So last thing, have these stories inspired you all throughout this month, stories of what God has done? Yeah? So here's the thing. We can't inspire people next time without your stories. So as we go throughout this week, as God is doing something and he's answering a prayer or just touching your heart in a certain way, uh, grab a staff member and say, hey, I've, I've, got, a, I've got a story to share. And we're going to be set up right then, ready to go and grab that story and so that we will have your story to share next time around. So I know some of you are introverted. You say, I don't want to do that, but you know, you just got to because it helps people, right? There you go. That's the guilt trip. It helps people change lives. So, all right, we're in a series. We're actually on part three of a series we've been doing about the heart. And just to make sure we're all on the same page, when we say the heart, we're not referring to that which pumps blood throughout our body. We're also not just referring to our feelings. No, matter of fact, most of the time when you read the Bible and you see the word heart, it refers to something that does include your feelings, but also includes your thinking and includes your wants. It is what you want, what you feel, and what you think. And so that really is more our soul. And so most of the time when you see the word heart in the Bible, most of the time you could replace that word with the word soul and it would still mean the same thing. See, here's the deal. Our souls drive us. 
everything we do comes out of either what we think or want or feel. And because of that, we have a theme verse for this series, Proverbs 4.23. We've been saying it together every time. It's uh, something I want to try to get stuck in your head, and you can either hate me or love me for it, but you will be better for it if this gets stuck in your head. So everybody look at the screen. Let's say this together, our theme verse. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything flows from it. Let's say it one more time, but they're going to take it off the screen because, yeah, I mean, we're in part three. We've, we're, some of us are getting this by now, right? Okay, let's see if it's stuck yet. Here we go. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. There you go. Hopefully that'll stick. So think about that. Above all else, above your wallet. That means before you let something have any influence on what you think or want or feel, you should just give them your wallet and then walk away. That's pretty funny if you think about that. How many of us would do it? None, right? Uh, above the brand new car that you park at the end of the parking lot on two spaces so no one can put a ding in it, right? Above that, guard what's going on in here. You know why? Because everything, every reaction, every word you say, every way you treat someone, every attitude you have, everything comes out of it. So here's what you really need to hear. If it's that important and we need to guard it, the enemy really wants it. That's why we're doing the series, because the enemy is after your heart. He wants to have what drives you, right? Okay, so we kicked off the series with the idea of a clean heart. That's the goal. If you are a Jesus follower, the goal is to have a clean heart. Now, if Grace Life is your church and you missed the first part, I'm going to ask you to go and catch it online, because there was something we said we're going to try to do together all year. You see, there's a promise in God's word that if we will put our hearts in front of his word, his word will help us discern what's going on in our hearts and make whatever changes we need. So we said we're going to come together as a church and as many days as possible, as close to every day as possible, we're going to put our hearts in front of God's word. And we're going to start with an invitation, which actually comes out of Psalms. It just says, create in me a clean heart, God. Create in me a clean heart. Now I'm going to read your word and let it do its job. And so that's what we're agreeing to do together as a family. And then we went on and started another topic. So here's the thing. If you've ever read the Bible, you're going to see there's a certain type of heart that shows up over and over and over and over. It might be the most commonly mentioned type of heart in the Bible. And every time it comes with a warning because this isn't the kind you want. And it's a hard heart. Anybody ever read about a hard heart in the Bible? You know what I'm talking about. There are two ways predominantly that you can end up with a hard heart. The first one is a wounded heart that's never been healed. Wounded and not healed. We talked about that in part two. I am not going to go back and redo any of that. If you missed part two and you've been through some things in life, which by the way, if you're human, you have, then go back and get that. We're going to talk about the other way that we can have a hard heart today, and it's something everybody wants to talk about, but it's, it's when pride takes over. You all want to talk about that, don't you? Okay, probably not, because see, here's the thing. I know none of us have a proud heart. None of us, especially not me. At least that's what I used to think. So the good news is my wife was already in the second service, and so now I can like tell the story the way I want to. No, she actually enjoyed that moment where I had to admit that I've discovered there is pride in my heart publicly. She's been waiting 20 years for that. You know what I'm saying? Can't wait to get home and see. Maybe she'll make me chocolate chip cookies or something. See, there's a reward for that. But here's the thing. It, it took me a long time to figure this out because we have a very slim understanding of pride. And so when someone says, well, I don't have a pride problem, it's because most of us think that someone who's proud or has a proud heart, they're, they're an arrogant jerk. 
They just walk into the room and go, hey, everybody, I'm the best person in the room. Yep, better than you and better than you and definitely better than you. You know, that kind of thing. And we think, wow, that person is so proud. They just stink. And the rest of us were like, yeah, we're kind of okay. So what it took me forever to discover is I don't have a I am awesome kind of pride problem. Actually, I'm too insecure for that. It took me many years to get over the insecurity that was in me. I would walk into a room and hide and tell people that it was just because I was an introvert. And the truth is, I was just insecure in front of other people. So when people would say, Jimmy, you have a pride problem, i go, no way. If you knew how little I thought of myself, you would never accuse me. I'm not the arrogant jerk that walks in the room. I don't have it. I am awesome kind of pride problem. It took me a while to figure out I have the, if you would just listen to me, I know better than you, kind of pride problem. You know that whole thing where, what an idiot. See, I truly just thought it was just my natural gifting. I thought it was, I'm not kidding you. Y'all are laughing like that was a joke. I, I truly thought it was God's wisdom and insight that he's given me that I could just look and figure out they're stupid and I'm not. And if they'd asked for my opinion and insight, their life would be much better off. I'm just one of those people that knows how to get the thing done right, you know? Come on, somebody in here is with me. I know, I know I'm not the only one. There you go. So the, the thing, though, is we, we don't see where pride can, can just manifest in so many different ways. So here's what we're going to do today. Last week, if you were here, I made you raise your hand and say, Jimmy is talking to me. Because I wanted to make sure you understood that I was talking to you. This wasn't a message for the person beside of you. But today, I got good news for you. I'm going to let you off the hook. I'm not talking to you today. Because I know none of you have a proud heart. None of you struggle with pride at all. This message today is for the person beside you. I'm going to talk to the person beside you the whole time. It's totally about them. You just look at the person beside you right now and go, mm-hmm. There you go. See, they need this. You don't. You don't. But that's all right. You will keep them company as they hear about what's going on. As a matter of fact, let me walk you through what's going on in their heart. Not yours, but there. See, here's how they can tell if there is any pride in there outside of just being an arrogant jerk. You see, maybe they need to ask themselves if they are eager to learn from others or if they just already think they know best. Maybe they, they secretly tell themselves, if everybody would just let me do it or ask what I thought, this would have worked out better. Maybe they inwardly believe that they're being kept by, from greatness by those around them. You know, some people believe that, right? Uh, maybe when they are corrected, they actually say thank you and look forward to the opportunity to learn or they argue and say i wasn't even wrong not you of course right maybe they are a person who chooses to do it their way instead of god's way even though they know it's not his way maybe they have a certain situation in life that they say you know what that would have turned out a lot better if somebody let me be god for the day all right so now that you are thoroughly convinced the person beside you needs to hear this i'm just going to keep talking to them is that okay I'm going to share with them a little bit of what the Bible says about this and hopefully how we can try to find a solution for it. If you would, you just keep them company, the rest of this message here. All right, so I'm going to share something with you. I'm not even going to put on the screen because I just want you to listen. I just want you to catch the impact of this. It's not going to be up there, but it's actually Proverbs 26. I'm just going to walk you through the beginning of it. So just, just flow with me here. Like snow in summer, that'd be pretty bad, wouldn't it? Like snow in summer or rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. A whip for the horse and a bridle for the donkey, 
and a rod for the back of fools. Wow, is that the only way you can keep them straight? Whoever sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Oh, man, that's a pretty rough description of... Like one who binds the stone in the sling is one who gives honor to a fool. It's going to come back and hurt you. Like a thorn that goes up into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Like an archer who wounds everyone is one who hires a fool. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Wow. Now here's the question. How many people want to be that fool? Nobody, right? Right now, the worst thing that you think I could say to you is you fit the description of that fool. If someone came to you and said, you know what, I read something in Proverbs 26, it sounds just like you. You're that fool. Because you think, man, when you read this, this person has no chance for success. I mean, they're not even allowed to deliver a message. They're dangerous with their own words. They're worse than somebody who's drunk that just got stabbed in the hand. I mean, come on. I mean, that's a pretty bad description, isn't it? And so the most important thing, we'd say we don't want to be that under any circumstance. That's the worst thing somebody could say about us. Are y'all with me? Until yeah. you get to the next line. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? Because there is more hope for that fool than him. Yeah, ouch. You see, if you find somebody who's got enough pride that they are wise in their own eyes, they think they've got it all figured out, they think they're the smart one, they think they're the good one, they're the talented one, they're the person who looks in the mirror and goes, yeah, you. Yeah, you know those people? No, there's more hope for that fool than him. And because, see, here's the reason. There's a danger with being wise in our own eyes because it makes our heart proud so easily, and a couple of different things can come in. The first one is that it makes us unteachable. You see, here's just the common sense that goes with it. If you're wise in your own eyes, nobody else is wise in your eyes. Why would you want to learn from them? You already know better. Why would you ask a question? You've got the best answer. You see, when you're, you're wise in your own eyes, there's nothing you're going to learn from anyone else. The only way you're going to learn, if you need to, is unfortunately through your own mistakes. I've got that t-shirt. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you're wise in your own eyes, you're not going to easily receive correction. Because after all, the person correcting you doesn't understand how to do it right. You do. The person who's correcting you, well, they have nothing to offer. I remember, man, when I was a teenager, no offense, teenagers, you know, because we all think we're, we're like wise in our own eyes. Our parents are stupid. Our teachers are stupid. You know, we got it all figured out. I'm going to be the one person that graduates high school and is a billionaire by the time he's 20 because I've just got it all figured out. Right? Come on. You know what I'm saying? Why would I ask a teacher for career advice? Right? You know, I mean, I remember thinking that. And then God made me a teacher. I guess that kind of taught me something like, okay. It's just who we are. We're wise in our own eyes. Why would we learn from anyone else? You know what else it'll do? It'll cause us to be critical. I want to share with you a story Jesus told. It was a parable. It comes out of Luke chapter 18, for those of you trying to keep up. It's not going to be right here, but it says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And that's important. Because what he's trying to say is, look, there are things that can happen that cause you to treat others with contempt. And just in case you haven't looked that word up lately, when we say we have contempt for someone, it means that we think they are unworthy and undeserving. And so when we put them lower than us, that's, that's what they deserve. That's the place that they should be. When we treat people as though, you need to be beneath my shoe. I, I can walk on you. Why don't you lay down? There's a puddle. Let me just walk over you. And that's what Jesus is saying is, be careful because this can make that happen. 
So what's his story? Well, his story is two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. In case this is a new word for you, Pharisee, those were the religious leaders of the day. And they even dressed like religious leaders. I mean, they had robes, they looked like they had all the answers. They went to the temple and stood up straight and, and they just made a big show of everything. And they were trying to say, be like me because I am a, a wonderful follower of God and I follow all the rules and we're the, the best at following rules. That's really what they were known for. If they had a t-shirt, it would be, we follow the rules better than you. That was what a Pharisee believed. So it says the Pharisee standing by himself prayed like this. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners unjust adulterers or even like this tax collector i fast twice a week i give tithes of all that i get but that tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying god be merciful to me a sinner jesus said i tell you this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's a pretty pointed one-liner, don't you think? I told the staff I want to do a series called Jesus One-Liners. I just walk in here and read this. Like, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Mic drop, meet you at Moe's, you know? I mean, wouldn't that be kind of cool? We don't need to say anything else. There really are some awesome things Jesus said that shouldn't take any more explanation. Okay, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Let me work on that. It's funny how it takes a little bit. And the reason is this. Pride is so deceptive. We don't see it coming. We don't even know it's there. If we knew it was there, we'd do something about it. I mean, think about this guy, this Pharisee. He thought he was being humble. I mean, he come, he, oh God, thank you that you made me this way. I mean, that's being humble. God, thank you that I am better than some people who have screwed up their lives kind of thing, you know? And, and we need to not make sure, we need to make sure we don't misunderstand the point here. It's okay to thank God for what he's done in your life. This is not saying that's bad. We should be able to go to God, don't you think? And say, God, thank you for what you've given me. Thank you for the wisdom you've given me. Thank you for the intelligence you've given me. Thank you for helping me turn left instead of right on that bad day. I've seen some people who turned right and it didn't go well for them. Thank you that you've done that in my life. Shouldn't we do that? It's not a trick question. Everybody think, yes, there you go. But see, the problem is that after he did that, he let pride take over. Hey, God, I thank you that you made me better than other people. Seriously? And then the sad part is he didn't really give God credit for it. Did you notice? He started listing what he did. God, I think you made me better than them because I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. I'm better than them. Oh, <laughs> thanks for making me that way, but yeah, I'm better. You see, pride is so sneaky, you don't even know it's there. You think you're doing something humble only to find out something else. Well, here's the problem. When that sneaks in and you start saying, well, I'm better than you, we become critical of those people. This is my spiritual gifting. Anybody with me? Cynical, critical, like you've got a smart aleck remark for everybody. You're the first person who goes, did they actually think that matched when they left their house? Let me help them a little bit. They should have asked me. <laughs> they should have asked me.com. You've got a pride problem if that's your website, you know? But we, we just look at people. We treat them with such contempt. Who are they? I'm glad I am not like them. People around us, we, we call them idiots. Anybody ever done that? 
that idiot. Come on, I know you do. You come home from work and you say, man, that idiot at work today. Y'all looking all holy, right? I'll tell you, one of those things I did where I learned from my own mistake was I walked into, uh, when I was a teacher, I walked into the office the first day after summer and somebody had redone something that didn't look very good. And I was, I was the idiot here because I said this way too loud. But I said, what idiot did this? And my new boss walked around the corner and said, this idiot. <laughs> so you got to be careful being critical of people because when you're critical, you don't realize you suddenly think you're better. I shouldn't. I mean, even if I was right in my observation to say, hey, who had the tile redone? But that doesn't come with contempt. But when I look at the tile that's been redone very poorly and say, what idiot did this? I have contempt for the people. I don't even know who it is yet, and I've already decided I'm better than them. And we have that contempt. But here's the problem. When we have contempt for people, we don't have God's heart for people. And when we don't have God's heart for people, we're not going to reach out to them. We're not going to pray for them. We're not going to tell them about Jesus. You're not going to invite them to a Christmas Eve service. You're not going to do anything if they're so just seriously stay away from me. As long as that's how we feel about someone. And then a proud heart can cause us to reject God. Now, look, I know. I already know the objection. Right now, you're looking at me and saying, hey, Jimmy, we're in church. How can you say I've rejected God? I am in church singing songs about God, listening to you talk about God. How can you say I've rejected God? Look, I get it, and I'll give you that. There are people that have rejected God to a point. They're not in this room this morning. Matter of fact, they're not in any room this morning where anybody's going to talk about God or sing songs to him. And they're also not going to let you talk about God at lunch anytime this week. Yes, there are those people at that end of the scale. But we don't realize we're somewhere still along the scale just a few steps away. You see, we have a problem with rejecting God. Check this out in Romans 1. It says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Now I'm going to back up a verse and tell you how they got that way. How did they become a fool? By claiming to be wise, it says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. So we're not going to talk about the people this morning that, that completely reject him. We're going to talk about the people who know God, but don't honor him as God. And you know how we know God, but don't honor him as God or give thanks to him? And become futile in our thinking and our hearts become darkened. Do you know how we do that? Is when we think our ways are higher than his ways. And we all do it. Come on, somebody. We all do it. I don't know any human. There's never been a human that can say every moment of their lives they, they never had a problem with believing their ways were higher than God's ways. That they never did what they wanted. They never did what they thought. And they never did what they felt when it contradicted what God's word says. We've all done it. At a moment in our lives, we've all said, you know what? I think what I want is higher than what God wants at this moment. Because, you know, when God wrote that, he didn't have to live with this person. <laughs> when God wrote that, he didn't have to. No, you know, you see, so many times we know what God wants and expects. We just choose our way instead. And that's actually pride. Maybe you've got another label for it. Like, well, I'm not sure what I believe about that yet. Well, so there's actually something there. See, pride says my intelligence, my reasoning allows me to discount God. Pride says I don't have to submit to God. Pride says, well, I don't agree, so I can just do it my way. Pride says I know what's best for me. After all, God's ways are kind of outdated. Pride says I can take God on and win. You see, here's the worst part of all of this. When we have pride sneaking into our heart, it causes us to be unteachable and to be critical 
and to reject God. And then when we are unteachable and critical and reject God, it causes us to have a proud heart. And then when our hearts are proud, it causes us to be unteachable and critical and reject God. And when we're unteachable and critical and reject God, it causes us to have a proud heart, which causes us to be unteachable and critical. You get the point? It becomes a vicious cycle to where you don't even know what's going on. Why? Because the more you do it, the more accustomed you get to it and the harder your heart gets. You see, there was that first time you can remember. Not the first time because you were too young to remember the true first time. But there's that first time you actually decided to do it your way instead of God's way. And you kind of felt like, uh-oh. You felt guilty. You're going to do it anyway. You know, that time you were still in candy out of a candy store or you were lying to your mama or whatever it is. The first time you, you remember you were doing something you knew God wouldn't be happy with. And you felt some guilt. And you felt some shame. But you press through with it, right? Come on, you know how we like, I can get to the gym, I can press through. All right, so we press through those feelings, and we did it anyway. And then we said, hmm, wasn't too bad. And then the next day, the guilt and the shame feels a little less. And the next day, the guilt and the shame feels a little less. And so a few weeks later, when the same opportunity comes up, you feel a little less guilty about doing it. And the next time, even a little less guilty and the next time, to a point where your heart is so hard, you don't feel anything about right and wrong anymore, other than just doing what you want. It's just kind of how it works. I was just gone for three days preaching uh, somewhere else, and I got back home, and my, my house looked like a war zone. And not because my wife doesn't take care of the house, but because I've got three boys, and we have a Nerf gun arsenal. And they had like the entire ammunition just all over the house, just everywhere. We had like a thousand of those little yellow balls, you know. Anybody knows what I'm talking about? Yeah, those hurt, by the way. And uh, then the, the blue darts and the white darts and then the big fat red darts and everything. And that's actually kind of normal to have Nerf ammunition all over my house or in the couches or anything. <laughs> no surprise there. But, but what was different is, as I walked in, I noticed many of them had been taken apart and torn apart and disintegrated. And I'm thinking... Are they starting to put fireworks in these things or something? I don't know. Close, because I asked my son, I said, uh, why are these all torn up? He said, well, I was trying to figure out how to put thumbtacks in the end of them. <laughs> he said, they stick really cool, Dad, check it out. And so he loaded up his gun, and he goes to our cork board, and he starts shooting, boom, 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 and they all stick. He said, they stick in the cork, but they don't stick in the wall because the wall's too hard. Even a nine-year-old has figured out hard things. Don't let things in. You see, the harder your heart gets, you'll eventually get to a point you don't even feel bad about something that doesn't please God. You'll be able to listen to an entire sermon on something you need to change, and you won't think twice. You'll walk out the door and keep going. The more that we reject God, the more that we say, my way, my way is higher than God's way. I mean... So the question for us today is how do we break the cycle? How do we break the cycle? How do we keep this thing from spinning around and around and around in a proud heart making us do this and this making us have a proud heart? Well, the answer is actually incredibly simple to say. Be humble. Be humble. Just be humble. But incredibly hard to do, right? So what I want to do here is let's just look practically at really what this means. And how we can at least make an effort towards this idea. It shows up in only two arenas of our life, so at least we can put everything into just one of two buckets. And the first one is to be humble toward people. Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish 
ambition. Matter of fact, some of you just started do nothing. Yeah, there's enough pride. You're like, the pastor said, I need to try to be humble. So I'm doing nothing today. I'm not even getting out of bed. Because if I see another person, I'm going to fail that test. Okay, I give you a day. You just do nothing. You just stay in bed. And then I want you to move on the next day to do nothing from selfish ambition. You see, here's the thing about ambition. Ambition says, I want the promotion at work. And I'm going to get that promotion, and I don't really care. And I'm going to tell God I want that promotion. I'm going to pray God will give me that promotion. And I don't care. It means I'm going to get it, and you're not. And that's just too bad. I don't care if it's better for your family. I don't care if you need the raise more. I don't care if you'd be a better leader. I don't care if it's better for the company. I want the promotion, and it's good for me. That's called selfish ambition, where you just want what you want because it's what you want. And you're not willing to talk to God or anybody else. You're not willing to look at that other person and go, you know what? They might actually be better than me. Oh, I would have liked that. But I'm going to pray God gets it for you. That's do nothing out of selfish ambition. Or conceit. Conceit is where we actually think less of other people. Do nothing where it's, hi, I'm your superior. Welcome. Now, do nothing out of that type of attitude, but more we need to think of others. It says, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. You see, here's what I need you to hear this morning. There are times at work that the other person is an idiot. It's okay. Just don't call them that. But they really are. They are late to work every day. Their projects are always horrible. You have to clean up after them. You have to make up for what they can't get right. They would be horrible leaders if they were in charge. The truth is you are more skilled. You are more talented. You are wiser. You are a better leader. You are better than them. There are times in your life where you're going to recognize that person can't drive. It wasn't just a one-time mistake. They're truly an idiot behind the wheel. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. There are times you are more talented. There are times you are the better choice. But now follow this. Jesus is always our example. Always. Jesus had every right to assert his godness. He had every right to say, hey, just so you know, I'm not good with this plan. Why do I have to be the one that gives up heaven? Why do I have to be the one that goes down there and lives in that fallen body among those fallen people for like 33 years and to put up with what they're doing? Do you understand that for a perfectly holy God who had ever lived in eternity to have to come down here and be part of us, live among us, and even be one of us is the absolute most degrading act in all of history? Matter of fact, to a point that in theology class, the 33 or so years that he lived on earth, we label it. It's in the books. You can read. It's called the state of humiliation. It's what we deem the 33 years where God himself, Jesus, said, I've got to tell you what, I'm going to empty myself. I'm going to set aside my godness. I'm going to take the form of a servant, and I'm going to go down, and I'm going to be the lowest among the low for their sake. So if God who is here and we are here, he chooses not to assert the right that he is actually better and deserves it, but lays aside that right so that you can be saved. Then what more should you do for the fact that, yeah, you're here and they're an idiot? I promise you the distance between a perfectly holy God when Jesus set that aside and took on the form of a servant 
to be like one of us, that distance is way greater than the intelligence distance between you and the idiot you work with or the person who cut you off in traffic or the person that you can't get a relationship right because it's their fault, they can't understand, they'll never forgive, they're bitter, and you know you've made every effort, you've truly done everything right, and they are the problem. Does that still give you a right to look with contempt? Does that still give you a right to think that you're better? Didn't Jesus go down to that level and say, let me serve you? Let me serve you. And if Jesus can step out of heaven and set aside his godness and come and serve us, then we can step out of our superiority and serve the idiot. Instead of saying, well, when you get done, I'll clean up your work like I always do. You can get, you know what? Tell you what, why don't we do that together? Let me help you. That's what it means to be humble toward others. Because there is a truth. Some of us are better than others. That's not a joke. There are days you are the smarter one in the room. There are days you're the more talented person on the team. There are days you're the better leader, but you don't have the position of leadership. But are you going to assert that right? Or are you going to serve those without contempt? Oh, one more thing just for the fun of it. You want to know another way to be humble toward people? Be less offended. Be less offended. One of my favorite lines by Kent, Kent one-liners. How about that one? Kent one-liners right there. A humble man is hard to offend. He says it all the time. It reminds me of it. I don't like when he comes to my office. You all right, Jimmy? Hey, let me remind you, a humble person is hard to offend. Shut up, go back to your office. That's why I put it so far away. <laughs> I don't want to hear that, man. Second thing is be humble toward God. Be humble toward God. This really plays into what we're doing this week with our week of prayer and fasting because it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. See, that's being humble toward God when you acknowledge, God, you know what? I can't do this without you. I can't get where I need to go. I can't heal myself. I can't fix that person's heart. I can't restore that relationship. I, I can't meet that financial need. I, I can't do whatever it is I need from you. I have to come before you and say, you are God and I am not. And I humble myself to say, I need you to move in my life. And I will give up sleep. I will give up food. I will give up whatever it is you've decided you are setting aside so you can get more of God for the week. That's an act of being humble toward God. And that's why we do this. And that's great. But some of us stop reading the verse at that point, and there's something that comes right after it. Because not only should we humble ourselves and pray and seek his face, but we should turn from our wicked ways. And you know what we all do when we read the verse right there? I'm not wicked. Huh? No, wicked is like witches and Satanists and people who dance around campfires and murderers, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm not wicked. No, no, no. Yeah, that's not our definition of wicked. You see, in context, and what that actually means is when you don't do it God's way. God's saying your ways are wicked because they're not my ways. You simply decided to do what you want instead of what I said. Our definition of wicked is not what this means right here. What this means is anything earthly and human that's different from what he has asked of us. So what do you know that you do or don't do that is different from what God wants and says for you? What do you know that you do or don't do that is different from what God wants or says for you? I think right now, for every single person in this room, something's coming to mind. God is speaking. And you might have already just brushed off that thought because you didn't want to go there, but you need to go there. For some of us, it's financial. For a long time, we've said, I will not give. God's saying, really? For some of us, it's a relationship. God has said, no, 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 I don't want you that person. 
For some of us, it's, it's, it's your internet habits, your favorite websites. For some of us, it's, it's a negative habit that we refuse to admit we even have. For some of us, it's unforgiveness towards someone. After all, they really did hurt us. For some of us, it's, it's the way we speak. It's the way we talk. We know that it doesn't always line up with what God would say. But you know what? They're idiots. It's not my fault. walk out today and you change that whatever that is for you then you are being humble toward God but if you walk out today and say I'm not going to deal with that then your heart is one day hardened and will continue down that path let's close with a game like a fun thing to do, isn't it? Anybody ever played Would You Rather? Okay, we're going to do a redeemed version. <laughs> redeemed version of Would You Rather. Here you go. Would you rather have lunch with me or Brett Floyd? Me, of course, right? Oh, wait, this is on Friday. Okay. No, that's not the question. Would you rather have God with you or against you? You can answer that. It's a real question. Would you rather have God with you or against you? Well, here's another one-liner for you. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. First service, we had a trainer. Many of you know him. His name is Troy. Little buff, little strong. And so I gave the, um, the analogy. If Troy went and stood in front of that door right now and decided I was not getting through that door, <laughs> what do y'all think? For those of you who know Troy. Yeah. Choose another door. There you go. Yeah, exactly. You see, if Troy opposed me at getting out that door, I wouldn't get out that door. I don't have a chance against Troy physically. If he opposed me, I'd never get out that door. The question you need to ask is, do you want God standing in your way? And say, no, no, no. In your pride, you will go no further. Is that what you want? I got bad news for you. I wish I could solve your problem today. My hope every time I get up and speak, my desire for anybody who does what I do, we want to get up, address a problem, give you the solution, and have you go home much better off. And have you being able to say, dealt with that. But unfortunately, there has never been and never will be a message preached on pride that is a one-time fix. I, I can't do that because choosing to be humble is not a decision that puts you in a position and you're good to go. You'll never just suddenly be humble. And the minute that you think you are, well, then you're not. You know, it's kind of like king of the hill, except you can never stay there. No, actually, our goal is not to just make a decision today to be humble, but it's to recognize this is a daily pursuit. You see, if you manage to get this right on Monday, you will have to start over Tuesday. I'm not speaking bad. I'm just telling you the truth. And if you get it right Monday and Tuesday, you have to start over at the starting line on Wednesday. Every single day, the only way to keep your hearts from being hard because of pride 
is a daily attitude of seeing others as more significant than yourself. No matter who they are, you're closer to them than Jesus was to you when he came and saved you. It's a daily attitude of letting go of offenses. It's a daily attitude of serving even when you deserve to be served. And it's a daily attitude of choosing God's ways over your ideas. Daily. And what you got right yesterday won't count for today. Because every day we have to choose God's ways over ours. Because God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And that's what I want to close with. He gives grace to the humble. For those who have the humility say, you know what, God? I've sinned against you. I can't get it all right. And I'll never be good enough to go to heaven on my own. I need you to do something for me. God says, you know what? In that humility, I'm going to save you. The Bible says, by grace, you have been saved. By grace. Because of your humility to say, you know what, God? I can't get there on my own. I can't be right with you. I can't get to heaven. I need you. God says, then you've got me. You've got me. My son died on the cross for you. And out of my grace, he did the work that you couldn't. The work you needed to. He's already done. So if no one or if anyone has never done that here this morning, I want to help you respond to God that way. You don't have to stand up or come down the front. I'm just going to help you have a conversation with him right where you're seated. Would you all join me? Pray. Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. I thank you that you are changing my heart to be more like yours. And my simple prayer today is that you give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.